For the first time ever on Small Shop Fundraising, we are talking with a volunteer. He is the board chair of an organization that supports the education of school-aged children. We'll talk about his volunteer journey and how his board helped to keep the doors open through 2020. And we'll also talk about what he means by, and I quote, volunteering should never be a resume builder. All this coming up. Hello and welcome to Small Shop Fundraising, a podcast dedicated to small to medium-sized nonprofits and the topics and issues facing them today. I'm your host, Liz Hack, and on this episode today, we have a volunteer. And I mean volunteer not only because he volunteered to be on the episode today, but he also is a very engaged volunteer in his community as the chair of the board for Junior Achievement in Iowa, right? Yeah, Iowa, Illinois, and one county in Wisconsin. So welcome, Nick Kramer. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking to a board volunteer on the podcast. This is actually our first board volunteer to have on the show. Typically, we're talking to staff members or other foundation folks, so it's it's kind of exciting for me. So I appreciate you being yep. the first. Happy to be here. So before we get into your, your work with Junior Achievement background on why volunteering is important to you, your background also includes being the president for the past 11 years or so of an organization that services real estate and real yep. estate agents. And I bet that keeps you pretty busy even through the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would extremely bet. busy. So, everybody's, everybody's house is too small now, so everybody wants a new house. <laughs> Let's let's talk about your volunteer journey. When did you start and why did you start volunteering? Why is it important to you to give back to your community in such a big way? So my volunteer journey actually started with, with my mother. My mom is always volunteering her time, whether it be at our church, in our community. Uh, she was on the, on the board for the booster club for my school and, and always sort of said, if somebody needs help, lend a helping hand. Um, if you're an able-bodied person, then lend them your hands and your knowledge of of work. And I started there, I mean, at a young age, and I didn't think anything of it. And then as I became an adult, you know, just again, where anybody would need help. I, I come from a, a farm community and a, and a farm background. My parents grew up and, and I grew up. So, you know, it's it's nothing it's nothing new if, if you get a call and somebody says, hey, you need... Uh, a farmer needs help or somebody's, you know, somebody's down a man, you, you go and help and you don't ask for anything in return. So volunteering is something that's sort of ingrained in our DNA in Iowa where I grew up. But uh, as I became, uh, became an adult and, and started my journey in my running my own business, I came upon Junior Achievement, which I'd never heard of before. I never had it in my school. And it was a good friend of mine that uh, actually had brought me to uh, the organization and, and showed it to me, showed me what it did. And I was just in awe. And it started my journey with Junior Achievement of just jumping in 100% and, and never looking back, I guess. Wow, what a great story. I mean, everything that you've said, Nick, really harkens back uh, interviews that I've had in recent weeks with data showing that you don't just become a donor or you don't just become a volunteer overnight. It is something that starts very early in age. It starts a lot of times with your church background, your, your faith and family, you know, modeling the behaviors that you saw growing up. So your story is definitely something that my listeners 
have heard about through data. Thank you for sharing that. I, I want to know more about junior achievement. I think there's a lot of people that have heard about the word junior achievement, know of the nonprofit, but they may not know what it does mm -hmm. and who they serve. Can you just give us a snippet of junior achievement's mission? Yeah, so our mission at Junior Achievement of the Heartland is uh, to inspire and prepare young people to succeed in a, in a global economy. And that's, that's fancy words for essentially we, we want to help prepare the young students in our community with you know, fiscal, fiscal education, give them an, ec an economic background of how the world works around them, where do parks come from, what are wants and needs, what's budgeting look like, a lot of stuff that you know, we don't do in schools and it used to be done by, you know, by our parents. Um, and everybody took that for granted back when you, everybody was raised by depressionary parents. And then you had your, your baby boomers that would, that would teach some of their kids. And we start to see that fall off. And, and that's where JA really has, has stepped in and brought that to community. So our greatest uh, gifts that we give to the community is, is just that is helping show how do firemen and police officers get paid? How do local school districts work? All that stuff that kids, you know, we take for granted that everybody knows um, as adults, but you, 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 what you don't realize is it's not really emphasized in, in education uh, in most areas. There's not just one JA. Yep, there are hundreds of JAs around. I'm sure there's one in your community. There is. Um, there, <laughs> there's JA's uh, headquarters is out of Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, and it's called JUSA, and they're the governing body for us. They give us guidelines on our, our packets that we that we deliver to, and programs that we deliver to the, the K through 12 uh, schools. You know, some JAs aren't in schools aren't in schools as much. Some are pretty heavy in it. Some are heavier in the um, high school levels. Uh, we're pretty we're extremely heavy in the K through eight. Um, even more at the elementary level. So yeah, there's a there's a bunch of different junior achievements around, and they all have a have that unified mission, core mission to educate um, and to promote, you know, fiscal responsibility, the entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial spirit. You know, how to how to just be a good steward of community, uh -huh. and, and and that's what really hit hit for me was, sure. you know, when I was growing up, <laughs> nobody ever I never knew what the word entrepreneur meant, let alone being able to spell it. But um, I didn't realize that I came from five generations of entrepreneurs that were farmers. And, and oh, yeah. it was something that, that was drawn to me of just being able to uh, continue down that path of entrepreneurship and now being able to show other kids and, and students what that looks like, how that works. They come in all shapes and sizes. They come in all different industries. It's not just, hey, you own, you own a business that somebody can walk into. It's, you know, I have a business that nobody sees, uh, but it's, it, it has a presence online. So all that stuff really hit for me on, on working with JA. Yeah, it definitely sounds, I can hear the passion in your voice when you talk yeah. about it and how it connects back to your personal life story. Can you tell us a little bit more about your specific JA and its size, uh, just so our listeners can get an understanding of how it compares to their organization? Sure. So our and JA... Yeah, our annual budget of our JA is around 1.3 million. Now, again, pandemic times, we've had that's that's flexed considerably. In normal years and normal times, um, we are at uh, we are at just about 1.2, 1.3 million in budget. Uh, we've got 12 to 15 staff members. You know, depending on if we're counting uh, some part-time uh, staff that that work in our work in our BizTown Finance Park uh, programs. 
which is an on, you know, on-site uh, solution. Typical year will be, we will work with uh, nearly 53,000 students. Um, last year it was 32,000 students. The board is, is broken up because it's such a large geographic area that we cover. We've broken our board up into north, central, and south regions. It's pretty heavy. I'm in the central region is where I'm based out of, and, and we cover both Iowa and Illinois side, and it's the, the majority of where the students come from. The board size, I think we're at 45 board members throughout all those. We, we have our executive board as well that would bring in chairs and, and vice chairs from the north, central, south region. Then we have our executive chair of the board. That'll be my position I'll be taking in the next month or so. And then we all also have past chairs. We've also got a, a foundation that feeds and, and sort of funds to our system as well, where it, it's separate. But again, it's its only mission is to finance our RJA. Sure. So it's a pretty unique uh, junior achievement. So it sounds like you have a large board ready and willing to mm -hmm. support the mission of the organization, a pretty good sized staff to help the board direct the mission of the organization. Mm -hmm. How has that, how has your structure and how has your mission been impacted because of the pandemic in 2020? You <laughs> well, sound like it, you said heavy, you know, elementary school to yep, eighth grade. Yep. I, I don't, the last time I saw Nick was days before the governor of Kentucky shut down the entire state back in March of 2020. Yep. And so that is what our kids in public schools were, were going through. What happened for JA and how did that pandemic imp impact you all? The pandemic, the impact was we only got to that 30,000 students when it, by March, a lot of our classes are geared uh, towards running in the spring session. Um, spring semester session. So we had a lot more work to be done and it sort of all went on hold. So from that, we had a, a massive sort of pivot where JAUSA, the, the, the main organization, uh, started getting us out information on how we could start to formulate online classes, virtual classes for, for our students and for, 20, for the 2020-2021 school system. And as the pandemic continued to grow and, and become you know, more than everybody thought it was ever going to be, you know, we, we sort of took a backseat role to that with the, with the school districts. Uh, luckily, we've got, we've got five um, superintendents on our, on our board. Uh, oh, so wow. it's, yeah, it's great to be able to interact and work with them and, and have pr you know, real good relationships with them. My wife's actually a, a seventh and eighth grade math teacher. Um, God bless her. And, yeah. yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with you on that, but working with her superintendent and, and getting sort of insight to where the schools are, you know, the schools really pulled everything back and said, we need to figure out how to take care of our children and get their core learning going. So JA sort of took that support role and saying, let us know what you need. Let us know what we can do. If there's any solutions that you need from us, we'll be there. And then we slowly started to, and we still are sort of slowly starting to bring out more and more uh, virtual classes or online classes. So um, I teach a class. So every everybody on our board is going to be somebody that we we have in a classroom that's teaching a class in All person. All 45? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It, it, and if they haven't, if they don't in a, in a certain calendar year, then they're either doing a volunteer of sorts and it's or and or they're doing a recording or their, you know, their presence is elsewhere. But yes, it, it, it's something that 
that we've sort of pushed for the last few years to really solidify our board and for our board to understand what it looks like and what it feels like when I first started Jay it wasn't it was okay this is a pretty cool thing but then when I got myself immersed into a classroom I was hooked so it's hard for us now because for my entrepreneurship class I'm going to do a recordings and, and sort of deliver those via video and not be in the classroom and interact with the kids unfortunately yeah. um, and we're shifting that more towards doing zooms some of them are doing that and then we also uh, have really pivoted and, and we're going to do a uh, career fair. So we're sponsoring and doing a career fair for our entire geographic location. We, we have a bunch of businesses that have jumped in from John Deere, which is corporate centers is here in the Quad Cities to somebody like an Alcoa, another large Alcoa plant here. And they're doing a virtual career. Fair. We already have over 5,000 students signed up wow. to jump in specific dates and sort of walk through this virtual career fair where they can go and click on a booth uh, the booth has got a video on what what is it like to work for the credit union what is it like to work for john deere you know being a, an hvac tech all this stuff that we're you know that we're sort of pivoting and doing because work readiness is a big thing for us too and there's a lot of kids that that don't necessarily want to or need to go to college mm -hmm. they might want to go to trades or they might want to go to uh, getting into an apprenticeship you know, we've always done but have really put emphasis on recently and then in this actual year that's wonderful news that uh, students can find their future in different ways it's not just one path i think that's that's really great that you, and pivoting now i know there's a ton of different challenges that the staff and the students have faced but for your organization's board specifically as a volunteer what are some of the things that you have found to be the most challenging so at first when everything sort of happened and there was that great unknown. There was a lot of people that sort of wanted to sit back and and I use the term shelter in place. And this is no different than any other industry and, and other places out there where people sort of took the approach of, well, there's nothing I can do about this and there's nothing that, that can be done about this. And we, we just sort of have to take our lumps. And if we make it, we make it. And if we don't, we don't. I don't look at stuff like that. I actually absolutely loathe when I, when I hear stuff like that or and, and I see people take that approach. So we had that early and it, was, it wasn't a lot. There weren't a lot of board members that were like that. We sort of told all the board members, if you've, you know, if you've got things that are more important to attend to, we understand. But at the same time, we also called all hands on deck and say, hey, how do we, how do we fix this? How do we get this going? So with the means that we have as board members, you know, we went out and secured that PPP immediately, uh -huh. made sure that none of our staff, we, we shaved down a couple of staff members. Some were ready to retire. Uh, the ones that were part-time, obviously we, we didn't need as much, but then we were still able to maintain the core of our staff and 90% of our staff really by getting that PPP. It's still going out and, and and securing donations that we do on an annual basis. You know, a lot of people are quick to say that the businesses are hurting and, and the world is going, you know, going to pot. It's not the case. There's a lot of businesses that had career years that had yeah. uh, their greatest revenues ever going out and, and getting in front of them and connecting with them. That was something that we do at a, we do at a board level as well. So we work with our development team to open doors for them. So if I have a if I have a friend in an industry or a friend that owns a business that I know had supported Jay in the past, we, we got in front of them. So one of the problems was, hey, how do we get in front of them? How do we communicate, you know, get on a call, whether it's a Zoom and stuff, and try to keep that relationship going? And we've actually opened up a lot of new relationships as well, which is surprising to us, but 
yeah, at, at the beginning we had a little bit of a little bit of a stumble of sort of saying, well, what do we do and and what's next? But we're blessed with a, a president that I mean, he's he's in it for all the right reasons. So his leadership and sort of having a real strong board and we've worked towards having an extremely strong board over the last few years that it's grown. We didn't run into a ton of, I, I don't really see him as hurdles and troubles. It was just sort of, here's what the world gave us and this is what we're going to do with it. And it sounds like you all have been doing the work that boards need to do and, and you had a lot of support from the 44 other board members and staff it, all the pieces are in place. Everything typically flows, is what I tell most of my clients, everything typically flows from leadership. And yep. that's not just your staff and your president or your executive director, but it's also the board members that are willing and ready to jump in when they need to be to help with PPE, to help with that next thing that is necessary for the organization to, to keep their doors open. And, yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to follow up with is based on some data that our Kentucky Nonprofit Network has put together, 7% of nonprofits in Kentucky shut their doors forever in 2020, and 9% may be doing that exact thing in 2021 by, by mid-2021. How has JA been able to keep their doors open? Well, two things. Um, when I hear those numbers, I don't look at it as, oh my gosh, the world is ending. I look at it as there's 7% and 9% funding that we can get more of. Um, and that might sound terrible, but, but honestly. That's a businessman's um, perspective. That's, yeah, that's opportunity. That's, that's yeah. opportunity right there. And it's knocking. And, you know, the, the way we've done it has actually been from, you know, again, top down with the board president. Uh, he came to us and said to us pretty early, I, I want to say maybe in June of last year, when we were still trying to figure this whole pandemic out and our our busy time is during the school year, obviously, because we feed into the schools. Um, he essentially said, I had a donor that came to me, a large donor that came to me and said, is your board committed? Is your board in? Obviously, there's some uh, organizations out there that people get on a board to fill their LinkedIn account to, to show that they volunteered their knowledge or they came to board meetings. Our board is, is pressed pretty hard, and we talk about a lot about being all in. And not only just being all in and being present, but being financially present as well. So what he did is he went out in, in June and had us all jump in and said, hey, if your business, and there was only, I think there was only one or two board members that really were suffering financially from the from the downturn. The rest of us were doing pretty well. I mean, the Quad Cities is an extremely conservative area um, in the sense that they don't we don't spend, spend, spend. When we had the downturn in 08, there wasn't a huge housing crisis here either. But he had us all sort of, sign a commitment saying, yep, I'll commit X amount of dollars either for my business or for my personal for, for JA. And we were able to take that into other large businesses and organizations here and foundations here and show them, hey, our board's 100% committed. Um, we're going to be here to pick up the pieces when the schools get back into, into play where the, the kids need more help. We're going to be there. That was that was a big thing there is how we, how we sort of looked at that. We also jumped in in a couple of spots where we were told by other areas of the community like hey this you know like you say a couple of these nonprofits sort of closed their doors or shuttered shuttered their doors we jumped in and supported a couple things we jumped in and sort of picked up the pieces for them and, and said well we'll we'll take care of that program or we'll help take care of of that system on our side which again opens up our opens up our doors for opportunity to to gain more to gain more uh more donors and, and, and to show more people in the community what Jay is all about. Right. 
Yeah, wonderful. That's, yes, that's absolutely. Collaboration, I think, is going to be key to the success of many nonprofits across the country. It sounds like the board really stepped up and did the work that board members are ought to be ready to do, no matter if we're in a pandemic or not. What are some things that your board has learned, though, through 2020? <laughs> I think we've learned the power of Jay. I think we've learned the power of community. We've always talked about it, but to, to really see it and see it in action. We've also learned not to take things for granted. When I first joined the board almost six years ago, we were heavy on large corporation donations. There's some really large corporations in our area that used to donate a lot of money. We started to really be cognizant of that and diversify where we were getting our, our donations from and, and how we were going out and soliciting those. You know, in 2020, we lost two major, major corporate donations, donors. Um, and if that would have happened, if we would have had a pandemic in 2016, and that would have happened, we would have been, I mean, we've been dead to rights. We would have been really sucking wind. When that happened, mm -hmm. it was a three-minute conversation in a board meeting. Like, hey, so-and-so isn't going to do anything this year. They're just sort of waiting to see what happens with the pandemic. And the X amount of dollars that they had earmarked for this year is not going to be there. Okay. After that happened, we sort of circled back. And I was, I was running the board meeting. I said, we need to really take note of that and, and to see where we've been and what we can do because we, we don't need to rely on the big, big corporations. We can rely on our community. We can rely on, on that groundswell of, of, Hey, every $5 donation counts. And that was, that was the biggest thing I think our board really took, took note to. And we sort of, it, it's made us a lot stronger. Yes. And I think, I think once we get through this pandemic, we're going to be, we're going to be in a great, strong financial position. Oh my gosh. I want you to come to every client, potential client <laughs> meeting I have. You are exactly right. This is the thing that as a consultant to, to nonprofits who are struggling to understand why do they need that $5 donor? Why should they work on this the individual donors that as you're looking at a donor pyramid is at the bottom and you have a ton of these uh, individual donors that don't give a huge amount Mm -hmm. uh, you need those to be able, those folks to be able to be on your team, right? They, yep. Yep. I mean, fundraising is a team sport and it includes every single person that gives to your organization. That's in kind, that's volunteers, that's, uh, you know, a cash donation. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like cheering you over here as you talk <laughs> about the, the work. I mean, it is work and you've got, you must have some very happy development people at JA yeah. to have such a wonderful board because that is exactly the same type of, of mentality boards need to, need to understand that you can't rely on one or two donations to get you through because you never know when the environment is going to change. Right. And so what a wonderful lesson your entire board has really picked up on. Well, we, we weren't like that at all when I first joined. Um, oh, it was, it was, it was the exact opposite. It was, Hey, let the development team do their job. Yeah. Um, we don't, we're not going to ask you to do any fundraising. We're just here to, and I, I'm on another board too, for a, a large credit union. And that is more advisory than it is hands-on. And you have to be with something like JA, like this board, that's a nonprofit that's going out and trying to do good in the community. You know, we, we still have these organizations that give a pretty good amount of money, whether it's an, a financial institution or a, uh, you know, even a tool and die shop, 
and when we're getting those donations, we'll say to them directly, if they're not, if they don't have a board member in our organization, we'll say, hey, do you have somebody that you think, you know, that would be excited to be on the board? And I, I was a large talking head on this part. We didn't need the C-suite executive. We needed somebody that wanted to kick ass and was okay with rolling up their sleeves and getting down and dirty because, you know, when the C-suite people started to say, well, do we really need to give that much? to that organization, that person that was on our board would go to them and be like, this is why we need to give more, not give less. Right. And it's a unique situation. And, and I actually, I, I spoke a couple of times at a young real estate agents in the, in the community in the QC. And I said, Jay is unique in the sense that you guys are all going to tell me you're broke because you're just starting out as young realtors. I get that. And that's fine. The beauty in JA is I can ask you to donate your time now and once I get you hooked, I'm going to ask you for your money later. And it's it's something that you can give. You can give either or. We need thousands of volunteers in the classrooms, and we typically don't ask them for much of anything. And we've changed that. We've we've been able to go and ask and say, hey, did you want to think of unique ways of, of raising money? Hey, do you want to pay for the class that you're you're volunteering in? Because it costs thirty five dollars for this class is what the what the numbers uh, roll out to. And it was amazing how many people not only wanted to donate their time, but also $35 or $50 to, uh, to fund that class that they were uh, operating in. It's good work, Nick. Yeah. All right. I have two more questions for you before my one common questions section, and then we'll, be, we'll wrap up. Okay. What are some changes that have occurred because of the pandemic that you believe will remain permanent for the board? Is there anything in particular? I'm not sure about that. I think we're all excited to getting back in person. We've done all Zoom board zoomed meetings. Out. Yeah, I, I'm I'm zoomed out on personal, professional, and volunteer level. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think what we'll do permanently. So because it's such a large geographic range for our boards, um, for our three boards, I think what we are going to do, and we've done it a couple times, is we're going to do a Zoom where we get the entire group together because North and South are separated by almost two hours and Central is pretty much in the, in the middle of that. I think that um, going forward, we're gonna try to make that connection to get everybody together to speak about the, the mission more often. So I think that's a positive uh, outcome of that. Yeah, using more tech, it sounds like, yep. technology. Yep. And then finally, what is some advice that you can share with a struggling nonprofit board of directors there are so many who are struggling with the balance. You know, we didn't, we didn't really ever get back to that with balancing work and home life and their volunteer efforts. What is some advice that you can share? Um, this might sound odd, but every, every general was a soldier at one, at one point in life. Not everybody's a general at all times, you know, and, and like the people say, you know, we don't want soldiers. We want generals. We want those, those, those large board members. Mm-hmm. you can pretty easily identify somebody that's uh, ready, willing, and able to join your board. And they might not be the executive that you look for, but they're going to be that spark plug. You need energy. If your board is struggling, you need energy. You need somebody to revive it. And then you need people that, to hold, it, hold each other accountable. So when I got on the board, I started bringing other people on the board that I know, like, you know, that I knew, liked, and trusted. And I wanted them to be diverse in their backgrounds um, in their gender and in their race. And I would, I, every person I brought on or every person that I've talked to as bringing them on is saying, Hey, I give time, money, and, and effort to this. And I, 
I assume you're going to do the same. And if you don't, that's okay. I understand that. But every board member should hold each other accountable. It, there's no reason, and too often in the boards that I see and, and that other people I talk to, some of these boards struggle because you have two or three people that really do the bulk of the work of uh, maybe eight to 10 or 12. And the reason I say no to joining a bunch of other boards is one, because I like, I like where I, I sleep at night. My wife wouldn't let me join any other boards. <laughs> but then also, I have a problem of not giving 100%. And I have a problem with, and, and and it's okay for boards not to agree to everything. So a board that doesn't, what do they say, like in a marriage, when you stop fighting is when they when the real issues uh, occurs. If a board doesn't disagree on stuff, if a board just goes through and says, yep, that sounds great, or doesn't have any, any true insight other than to show up, vote yes three times, no no's, and no, no conversation, that board's failing. Right. You have to have a, a give and take. You have to have that yin yang happen where if if you start with with some soldiers you can you can they grow into generals and they understand what it takes to to really work we're real lucky to be able to have gotten to that point where we're at right now we keep looking back and saying what would have happened if we would have had that pandemic three to five years ago we would have been in mass trouble so if a board's hurting and that the leader of that organization is looking for more board members Maybe they start looking a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit longer down that line, and say, okay, who's somebody that's a real go-getter in your in your area? And and honestly, go to that person that's on your board that isn't active, and say, hey, Tom, I understand that you're a extremely busy person. You're trying to run this organization. You got somebody that's a real go-getter that you could put on this board because uh, we know you love this organization. We just know your time is valuable. And nine times out of ten, that's going to be well received, and they're going to understand that it's good for somebody else to jump in there. And they can be their eyes and ears on on the uh, on the system. I'm going to be off my board in less than three years, and I already have somebody earmarked in my office to to take that over. So wow. that's that, commitment, and that's getting the job done as a as a volunteer who's committed. I love that you want to give a hundred percent, and so you don't spread yourself too thin. Yep. Go with a nonprofit that speaks to your passion. Yep. Um, is what I'm hearing as as advice, and yep. then diversity of a board is also important and not just uh, racial backgrounds, but, but also age and gender and geographic location, because then you have a holistic view of the community that you serve. Yes. And that community is not always going to agree. And that is good. Is yeah. that, yes. so that's another good piece of advice for nonprofit boards. Yeah, um, and, and, and a lot of people get hung up on it having to be like, they go a little too far and try to get more diverse. If the, the, the footprint of your community is what it is, then it's it's not the end of the world if it's not the most diverse board ever. Work towards what what works best. You know, don't do it in spite of it. Is what I always I always tell people. I mean, I love to see women in power because I have two young daughters, and it it really excites me to work with some of these women that are are. I mean, they'll run circles around most C-suite uh, executive men in the world. I love that, but at the same time. We don't want to go and try to pick up people that aren't a good fit. They got to be a good fit. Great advice from Nick Kramer, uh, the incoming board chair of JA. Is that right now? Yeah, I'm the central chair. I'll be the executive chair of the entire board. This, the uh, executive this chair month. of JA. Thank you so much for all that wonderful advice. I want to switch gears now to my one common questions. This is uh, a uh, couple of different questions that I ask every new guest on my podcast. And are you ready? Yep. All right. What is one thing you love about volunteering with nonprofits? 
Uh, the smiles of the children, oh, honestly. And you can get that virtually too, which is good. Yep. Yep. What is one thing you love less about volunteering with nonprofits? Uh, <laughs> the people that are in it for the wrong reasons. You want to? The, the people that are in it to, and I call it just stacking their LinkedIn account. So yeah. people are using it for a resume builder. It, it should never be a resume builder. Volunteering should never be a, a resume builder. Great advice. What is one favorite resource you'd like to share? Uh, history, honestly, you know, it's in, in my experiences with with my volunteering and with the with my nonprofit is we never looked back and said, well, what's the history of this? You know, what is our history with with this donor? What is our history with this school? Um, we used to just always look forward and you can use history to base a communication with somebody. And, and too often we we always look forward. It's OK to look past it, look to the, the future, but using history to guide us in what we do. If you didn't know there was an ugly, messy breakup with somebody and you're going in and beating your head against the wall trying to get somebody to become a donor or uh, get more involved, then you, you wouldn't realize that you're wasting resources to do something you shouldn't. So history. I like it. What is one thing you see junior achievement or your junior achievement or the nonprofit industry in your area doing to impact diversity, equity, and inclusion? We are very uh, in, uh, inclusive to every single school district, regardless of whether they're uh, fiscally sound or whether they're struggling. So our, the big thing that we do is is every child that we can that we can reach and bring our resources to, we do. It has there is no basis of race, gender, or creed. It's very inclusive, and it, we try to strive to to do that every every single day. So. The good thing that we do is we, we keep the eye on the ball and, and making sure that we're we're reaching all, all students. All students, no matter, no matter what. Yep. And that has been what JA has done since even before 2020. Yep. Yeah, very, very much so. It seems like your board and JA is in good hands with you, Nick Kramer, as a very engaged and excited board member who's willing to move mountains for the children who are impacted by the mission of the organization. Thank you so much for your time today and for the time you, you provide to your volunteer acts in your community. I and appreciate if, the time. Absolutely. If, if somebody has questions or wants to reach out, can they find you on, on LinkedIn or, or uh, email you? Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn. They can email me, uh, nick at drivenleads.com. I'll put your contact information in the show notes. Okay. All right. Thanks again, Nick. This has been Small Shop Fundraising. I'm your host, Liz Hack. Thanks for listening.